Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and today we have another Q&A that uh, I had on my Instagram. So we're going to answer different kinds of questions that you asked me. This episode is brought to you by Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. My favorite light and sleep optimization companies, Blue Blocks, has rebranded themselves as Bond Charge. They're now involved with a huge range of evidence-based products to improve your wellness and life in every way. Their extensive range of premium wellness products helps you to sleep better, perform better, have more energy, recover faster, balance your hormones, and reduce inflammation. My favorites are their red light light bulbs because they can be used to create a melatonin-friendly environment in your bedroom by shining only red and not blue or green light waves that will reduce your sleep quality. After starting to use these red light light bulbs, I find it much easier to fall asleep and feel less awake before bed. If you want to try out these amazing products that are the cornerstones to my most optimal sleep, then head over to bondcharge.com forward slash seamlund and use the code seam15 to save 15%. So question number one, my take on melatonin. So melatonin is my favorite hormones when it comes to just overall health and longevity. I think that it is the most important hormone for regulating all the different processes that happen during sleep, obviously, uh, but also when it comes to regulating epigenetics of your aging and longevity so uh, melatonin is going to help you to sleep better it's also going to help you to facilitate the release of growth hormone in your sleep it increases autophagy doing or modulates autophagy in your sleep helps with nad regeneration apoptosis cell senescence those things uh, they are very dependent of melatonin melatonin works together with all these other processes in your sleep and uh, yeah because of that you know melatonin is huge as a hormone uh, you want to have adequate amounts of melatonin when you are sleeping and you know with, with age you see this drop in melatonin that actually help will accelerate the uh, speed of aging and uh, whenever your melatonin production begins to decline that's when you start to accumulate the hallmarks of aging and etc but as a supplement let's say it's a very controversial thing it's uh you know you can get it from anywhere in like chronic use i don't think it's the best because what melatonin can do is like it ha it can be like it can have a negative effect on your sex hormones it, there is no like direct link to it lowering testosterone or something like that uh, but it is uh, like a contraceptive like in large quantities like 75 milligrams of melatonin has been used as a contraceptive um, in the last uh, century so um, because of that if you're trying to conceive for example i wouldn't use melatonin uh, if you're not trying to conceive maybe use melatonin but uh, regardless high amounts of melatonin are also associated with depression um, so uh, yeah i wouldn't use melatonin chronically as a supplement uh, all the time as a hormone obviously it's the most important in my opinion it's uh, vital crucial you want to make melatonin naturally so that's why using the blue blockers red lights avoiding bright lights before bed is so important in my opinion but as a supplement i would use it only when you're like trying to catch up on bad sleep if you're you know having trouble falling asleep for some reason you can use it as a short fix to get back on track you can use it to boost your immune system or help to fight different infections when you're sick uh, but on a regular basis if you don't necessarily need it then i wouldn't use it uh, you can also use melatonin in your like elderly years like if i were to be 60 years old then i would use melatonin on a regular basis because at that point you probably don't worry about conceiving <laughs> uh, you won't worry about um, reproduction in that sense but you would want to take care of your you know sleep quality and uh, make sure that you still get high amounts of melatonin uh, to conduct these uh, repair processes in your sleep so that's my uh, take on it
Next question, uh, tips to improve skin health. So I'm not like the expert on this because I don't really take care of my skin at all. Um, I don't have any like creams. I don't have any <laughs> real skincare routine at all. Uh, the only thing I do think that helps to maintain good skin health that I do are, you know, some sort of regular detoxification practice like sauna is going to help with that. It's going to excrete, you know, toxins and uh, clear the skin in, in that sense. You want to also obviously wash, wash it. I don't believe that, you know, zero soap or zero any kind of cleaning agent is a good way of going about it. You want to like clean it, especially after you sweat. You When you sweat, you, you know, all the toxins, etc. will be on the skin. So you want to clean it, obviously. And uh, that requires some like something to you know, soak up the agents. So soap is good. Um, you don't want to like keep your skin dry. You want to keep it moisturized. So um, yeah, like hydration, uh, protein consumption is very important, I think, because that's going to help to promote skin turnover. Um, low protein diets will just, you know, begin to slow down the repair of the skin. Uh, low IGF-1 levels are also actually associated with more wrinkles, whereas like higher IGF-1 levels, which usually comes from like protein consumption or carbohydrate consumption, that is also associated with less wrinkles in elderly people. Uh, infrared light or red light are great. Sunlight is good in like kind of low to moderate amounts. Excess sunlight, I think like being like on the sun, out in the sun all the time, I don't think that it's good for skin health at least. Like it can be definitely good for maybe energy production or feeling good, having good mood. But from a skin health side, I don't think that kind of the sun worshipping in that sense that you see a lot on the social media is probably not the most optimal for the skin aging uh, side. Because, yeah, the UV radiation that you get from the sun is still, you know, damaging the skin. And um, over time, of after many years, it would accelerate the uh, like wrinkles and skin aging. Different kinds of foods help you to also counteract the UV radiation from the sun, like polyphenols and uh, coffee and uh, different kinds of vegetables obviously but uh, funny enough i actually came across one study that found that the nad levels kind of determine whether or not you get sun burnt or not because your body uses nad to counteract the uv radiation you get from the sun so uh, if you have low nad levels or low nmn levels specifically then that will help basically increase the risk of getting sunburn and uh, increase increase the risk of uh, skin damage from the sun. So you want to have high energy levels. And uh, for that, you know, just being healthy is uh, good. Exercise, some fasting, calorie restriction, eating a good diet, sleeping, circadian rhythm alignment, th those are going to be raising your energy levels, but also taking like uh, any supplement uh, can do that as well. From a supplement side, additionally, like astaxanthin, is going to be good for that vitamin E, counteracts the you know lipid peroxidation to a certain extent that would occur if your skin gets exposed to sun uh, and UV radiation. Next question, I train in the morning, whole carbohydrate load directly afterwards for insulin sensitivity or in the evening? So uh, this is a good question, like should you eat the carbs after a workout if you work out in the morning or should you still wait until the evening? Um, I think it's always best to eat the carbs like in the post-workout kind of close to it because that's when you're most insulin sensitive that's where you would have the least effect on uh, the glycemic response and that's where the carbs would be most used for like um, nutrient partitioning they would be most used for glycogen resynthesis instead of like uh, energy surplus 
it is though like a little bit of like you know too much of a detail um, it's a very small difference I would imagine uh, as long as you still eat the same amount of carbs then um, it wouldn't matter that much because you're still gonna be very insulin sensitive even for like you know 24 hours after the training uh, but for personally I think that eating the carbs in the post-workout meal is still a bit better from a nutrient partitioning side. Next question, if you can choose one, infrared sauna or red light therapy? So uh, I'm a huge fan of the sauna. I like the red light therapy as well. If I were to say like which one is, if I had to choose like the regular sauna or the infrared sauna, then I would choose the infrared sauna because you get like this uh, unique infrared wavelengths as well that you don't get from the regular sauna. If I have to choose between infrared sauna and red light therapy, that depends on uh, whether or not I would get access to the regular sauna. So if I can still use the regular traditional sauna and I had to choose between infrared sauna and red light therapy, then I would choose the red light therapy because, you know, sauna, regular sauna plus red light is better than just infrared alone and the regular sauna. Uh, if I can't choose the uh, regular sauna, then uh, I would choose the infrared uh, because you get like light, some light therapy from the infrared sauna as well that uh, you uh, wouldn't get otherwise because the sweating side and the sauna side is a bit healthier than red light therapy in my opinion but if you can add an additional layer of the light therapy on top of it then yeah I would choose the infrared sauna Can you talk about the importance of cooling down the balls after the sauna and how long? So this is um, yeah, I mean, I've uh, talked about cooling down the testicles. Many other people have talked about it recently as well. And uh, the reason for doing that is because excess heat, especially around the groin area, is going to shut down spermatogenesis and uh, decrease sperm count. So sauna has also been used as a contraceptive. Uh, it's a male contraceptive specifically that it's uh, going to reduce sperm qu quality and sperm count because of the heat. And yeah, I mean, it's still very easy to prevent. You just uh, cool down the balls. <laughs> like you can do it immediately after the sauna, like with a cold shower on the testicles or an ice bath or ice pack on the testicles, something like that. It's, it can be anything uh, related and you don't need a lot. I would imagine you can achieve the trick or you can resume the spermatogenesis by um, maybe like a few minutes. The, I think the cutoff point at which the uh, spermatogenesis shut off uh, occurs is around like 37 degrees Celsius or maybe 36.5 because the testicles are naturally around 36 degrees if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, like you want to just cool them down to 36 degrees, uh, which is kind of regular normal body temperature as well. Best way to fix low cortisol. So, I mean, many people want always talk about lowering your cortisol, but what if you have low cortisol? Uh, well, a low cortisol level can be problematic if you're feeling tired all the time, you don't feel the like urge, you don't feel the energy, because cortisol as a hormone is still beneficial in the right amounts and at the right time. In the morning, you want to have this spike in cortisol to wake you up and energize you, start the day. It's a natural circadian rhythm to have this spike in cortisol after you wake up in the morning. If you have low cortisol, especially in the morning, then that is usually like you slept bad, you didn't go through enough deep sleep, uh, or you're ha having like some sort of circadian misalignment. And um, yeah, that will result in this kind of dragging your feet and not feeling any energy. The quick fix to fix that would be just, you know, consume caffeine because caffeine, yeah, it increases adrenal adrenaline, um, it uh, blocks adenosine and uh, it increases cortisol to a certain extent. In the short term, that's a great fix. I think that using coffee in that scenario can be good. 
but sometimes people who have low cortisol levels are because of this they're just you know have exhausted themselves already too much and their body is just tired and it doesn't produce uh, cortisol as a result of that in adequate amounts so adding coffee on top of that it's a quick fix but it's not uh, fixing the root issue which is you being like tired it just you know masks the tiredness and it kind of postpones it a little bit uh, the better long-term solution would be to fix your circadian rhythms and fix your sleep and uh, that means you know aligning your circadian rhythms again bright lighting uh, bright light exposure in the morning also increases cortisol levels uh, or fixes the circadian rhythms on top of that and uh, some sort of exercise in the morning uh, after waking up is also going to do that so light cardio in the in the bright daylight is the best way to kickstart this morning uh, circadian rhythm on the other end uh, to get enough good sleep you don't want to eat immediately before bed and you want to block out the blue light as well so that you would actually have a good night's sleep and feel rejuvenated in the morning nuts and avocado on weight loss diet so uh, i think think personally um, having like a ton of nuts and seeds and avocados even on a weightless diet isn't probably the smartest idea because they're relatively high in calories they're not that satiating you they're not high in protein and they're relatively easy to over consume as well like you can just eat a bag of nuts and get like almost thousand calories from that while still feeling somewhat hungry afterwards so i personally don't Think it's worth it if you have like you need to be in a calorie deficit you eat only let's say 1600 calories or 2000 calories per day then it's much smarter to fill those calories with protein some fiber and maybe like complex carbs uh, instead of nuts because the nuts aren't going to have like any like beneficial effect on your leptin levels or uh, insulin sensitivity either they're not going to raise your metabolic rate they're just kind of empty calories and they're relatively easy to consume so i personally think that they're not worth it but if they, you're the kind of person that does enjoy eating nuts and avocados, then of course, like there isn't any reason why you can't fit them in there. Uh, you just have to be more mindful about the other calories uh, you consume then. Next question, is bulking, quote unquote, overeating bad for longevity or is it just matching the increased energy demands of the gym? So uh, yeah, in terms of you wanting to build muscle then you need to be in um, obviously you need many things to build muscle you also first need the mechanical tension that signals the body that it needs to have muscle and or strength uh, secondly you need also excess protein or uh, addition additional of protein to have the building blocks to trigger protein synthesis and to build muscle third the excess calorie component is uh, also necessary to a certain extent but in some cases you can also get those excess calories from your already existing body fat so you can convert your body fat into muscle in certain situations if you're overweight then that is very easy to do if you're under trained then that is also very easy to do if you become more advanced and an intermediate lifter you're already strong you're already worked out a lot you're already eating adequate amount of protein then to build additional lean muscle mass on top of that from your already existing body fat becomes uh, increasingly more difficult in that scenario you do need to have a small calorie surplus to build the muscle uh, that surplus doesn't have to be any bigger than 300 calories or 500 calories you know there is a certain limit of um, how much muscle your body can build from a surplus of calories and uh, eating 2000 more calories above your baseline isn't going to build more muscle than eating 500 calories would 
And that's why I think that, you know, these crazy bulks eating more than 500 or 1000 calories every day to build muscle aren't the most like productive way of going about it, because then you have to also cut down and, uh, you know, the, the fatter you get with your bulking, the more you have to cut and the more muscle you potentially lose in the process. So I'd much rather, yeah, stick to um, a smaller deficit. From a longevity side, I also agree. I think that that is also like a better way of going about it eating like a 500 calorie surplus to build muscle probably doesn't have any bad effect on your longevity and it's not going to mess up your biomarkers either uh, you will just you know over time build uh, muscle you may get a little bit of more fat as well in the process but not to the extent of where it's going to harm your health or your biomarkers and later it's also going to be relatively easy to lose uh, that excess body fat if however you consume like 2000 calories of surplus <laughs> then yeah i think that that's going to be having yeah, even if you are building muscle and even if you are progressing at the gym, that will still have like a negative effect on your longevity because of this excess accumulation of uh, fat that uh, doesn't really have, you know, any positive effect on your uh, body in the long term. Next question, any supplements to mitigate harmful effects of inflammatory vegetable and seed oils? The seed oils, canola oil, they tend to have like a pro-inflammatory effect. One, because they're high in omega-6 fatty acids. And uh, secondly, they're also oxidized in virtually all cases because of their being exposed to heat, oxygen, sunlight and uh, pressure and uh, consuming them does cause lipid peroxidation in some amounts. Um, how worried you need to be about that depends on your other diet and your overall, let's say, nutrient status. If you have uh, good enough of antioxidant status then your body will always be able to deal with any kind of uh, oxidative stress, even if it comes from uh, seed oils. So if you have high amounts of glutathione, if you have high amounts of uh, nutrients to facilitate antioxidant defense, uh, like superoxide dismutase, uh, copper, zinc, manganese, uh, vitamin C, those things, then your body will still be able to deal with it. There are a few supplements that can directly also counteract the lipid peroxidation from seed oils like vitamin E, vitamin C, spirulina does that, magnesium is beneficial for that, and um, you want to also eat like foods, there's polyphenols, as well as, um, you know, liver has copper, zinc, those things, uh, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, the seed oils can be harmful in excess, do you need to be worried about that, that you need to avoid them all the time chronically, and to be like, you know, super afraid of them, I don't think so because I believe more in the body's like innate ability to be strong and resilient. I think the human body is incredibly resilient and I think that the human body can also deal with like a small amount of seed oils that you may get from like uh, some sort of your steak was cooked in uh, canola oil at the restaurant or something like that. I don't think that is going to harm your health. You know, it's not a big deal. You can definitely counteract that very easily and you can resist it even as well with these kinds of uh, supplements that I mentioned. Next question, adding collagen to post-workout meal. So collagen um, is not a complete protein. Yeah, you don't get uh, the BCAs and you don't get all the essential amino acids from uh, collagen. You mostly get hydroxyproline and uh, glycine, uh, but you don't get like leucine, for example, which is the key for triggering protein synthesis. So, I mean, if you add collagen to a whole food that has the BCAs and EAAs, maybe like eggs, steak, fish, or even whey protein, then yeah, that's fine. Like there's no you know problem with uh, consuming some collagen. I think it's good even for skin health, but it's not going to be the key for driving protein synthesis from uh, 
the workout or the meal that you eat. Uh, so in that sense, it's not like necessary to build muscle. You don't need collagen to build muscle and you don't need collagen to trigger the protein synthesis. Um, and, you know, worst of all, if you do consume only collagen alone, then that's also not enough to trigger the protein synthesis. So adding collagen on top of an already complete protein is fine. I don't see any problem with that, but consuming the collagen alone is uh, inadequate. Next question, what's the best contribution someone can make during his life? <laughs> a bit of a different question, but uh, I think, you know, it goes back to like, what's the meaning of life? Uh, what's your purpose in life, etc. I think purpose as a thing is very subjective. Um, every person has a different purpose. That person, that purpose is very much dependent of your like life experience and history. You know, maybe someone who is born with some sort of a chronic disease, I don't know, cancer or migraines or whatever, diabetes, and uh, they want to create their purpose of solving that issue, of helping to treat other people who have that kind of a disease, then obviously that's their purpose. And it may, may have greatly been attributed to them having that disease in the first place. Or let's say your mother dies to cancer and you devote your, your entire life to um, finding the cause of cancer, whatever. It's a very subjective thing. You know, there's no like clear objective purpose in life that everyone has to follow. I think that if you were to think about what could it be like this objective thing, then it kind of goes back to trying to make the world a better place in some sense of, you know, trying to leave the world better than uh, you found it before. And that usually involves with, you know, first of all, improving yourself, taking care of yourself, uh, making sure that you're healthy and that you're optimized and that you're in a perfect spot where you can help others because you can't help others if you can't help yourself or if you haven't helped yourself first. So I think it's like a kind of a, you know, stages to this uh, journey. Like you first have to figure out who you are, what's your purpose. You have to make sure that you take care of yourself and that you're working on yourself, improving yourself and to put yourself in a spot where you can change the world for, for better. And after that, only then you can start to, um, you know, help others, help others find their purpose, help others transform themselves and um, then change the world in the doing. Like you can't change the world without really changing yourself. <laughs> if you want to change the world, then you first have to like make sure that you are kind of worth worth it or you're uh, worthy in terms of, in terms of that. Like um, you can't expect others to change if you don't change for the better. You can't expect others to be better if you're not better you can't expect the world to be better if you're not better so uh, yeah i guess the, i guess that's the answer you just be the best version of yourself and then try to help others achieve that and then kind of transform transform the world around you to be better next question is it better to eat whole foods like rice and potato and spike your blood sugar or processed foods uh, with no spike well i think that uh, usually the foods that are going to spike your blood sugar are going to be processed foods. Whole foods can obviously do it as well. Uh, but, you know, processed foods is the one that generally is the added uh, sugars and will, in almost all cases, spike your blood sugar a little bit. Maybe there's like differences, like maybe chocolate isn't going to spike your blood sugar, uh, but still. Uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, if you have this hypothetical food, uh, processed food, that doesn't spike your blood sugar, then that's probably healthier um, than the one that does spike. 
and it doesn't matter like you know it is processed like olive oil is processed um it's not gonna spike your blood sugar potato chips they're processed but they're also gonna probably spike your blood sugar so in that case the potato, potato chips are worse but whole foods that does spike your sugar potatoes rice fruits I mean, yeah, they're not, you know, necessarily bad for you. Like, even if it does spike your blood sugar a little bit, a small spike isn't going to kill you. And, uh, you know, a small spike doesn't mean that anything is wrong either. It's very normal to have a rise in blood sugar after you eat. It's this myth that you need to have this completely flat blood sugar all day to be healthy is, I think, I think it's wrong. It's very normal to have, like, a rise in blood sugar after you eat. And, um, you know, as long as it doesn't stay elevated for too long, you can do things that minimize the spike before, such as resistance training and exercise, taking some supplements like chromium or berberine, and you can also do things after the spike to lower the blood sugar, like walking. So yeah, I mean, there's things you can do to adjust the spike. And I think that is more important than the food that you eat. So I wouldn't like worry about it in that sense, as long as it doesn't go too high. All right, that's it for the uh, questions. I'm doing these Q&As on my Instagram uh, on a regular basis. And if you want to ask any questions, then uh, follow me on Instagram at Lund. On that, thanks for watching this video. Make sure you click a like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered.